Hey guys, welcome back. BDCKR here. We're back with our weekly P and Q and C and A and T's. This is season six, episode 33. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, this is just a glorified Q&A. The important part is the letter P. The other letters are secrets. And by secrets, I mean uh, we don't say them every time now. Uh, so if people for some reason have only listened to this video, they might not know. But the important part is that this, the P stands for... Uh, podcast yeah. but also for patrons because it's support from our patron users uh mostly the lot that allow us to upload this as a podcast on all the major podcasting platforms and you can check out links in the description if you're currently on the video right. if you want to access it that way which if i were listening back to myself which i'm not that would be my preferred method of uh listening and we try to not uh, address what's happening in the video too often but we do anyway sometimes yeah. and speaking of not addressing the video i'm going to do it right now uh, with Donald Justice Batman, he tends to dodge almost 100% of the first one, but as we see in the video, by using Aquaman to do the first one, which he dodges, Deathstroke comes in the second one, there's a much better chance that he won't dodge, and then we just do our regular wipe out the other team. Okay, so there we go. Uh, we've got more questions this week. Thank you for everybody who sent them in last week. I think it was good that we mentioned it. Uh, yeah. Keep them coming. Yeah. So we have that you know, quality content, TM. Uh, our first question comes from Rohan Madik, and they say, suggest gear set for Flashpoint team, please. I think this one will so, be so, pretty so, quick. Yeah, some questions are easier than others, and some questions are better than others. Yeah. <laughs> I think we already answered it. Um, it is, it, you know, yeah, if, if you're watching on YouTube because you're commenting on YouTube, then you might just want to watch this video. Mm -hmm. So you can check out our gear. I think we showed off right at the beginning of the we video did. here. We did. So there we go. Our next question comes from Crimson Penny, and they say, or I said I should say questions, because they say, "Hey, been loving your videos. I got two questions for you. One, how do people get such a high battle writing in multiplayer? I can play for hours each day and barely get top five percent. And two, what should I focus on slash grind to after a couple months playing? I have a ton of random gold characters from packs and a bunch from previous challenges, though no Flashpoint ones. P.S. I'm on iOS and Beaver Tails are yummy with Nutella and bananas. Oh, that was about us going to the X, the CNE. Yeah. And beaver tails are pretty tasty. We did not actually, in fact, have any of the beaver tails when we were there. I think in part the coupon uh, <laughs> soured the idea of beaver tails on that particular occasion. Yeah. And also, I think beaver tails probably just aren't weird enough. Yes. When you go to the X, you sort of have to have weird food. Yes. Although, I don't think we had too much that was uh, under the umbrella of weird. We had a really, really disappointing uh, jerk chicken skewer, though. Oh, yeah. It was in their less than $6 section, yeah. and it was definitely worth less than it was, $6. It was branded under 6 in the 6, and the jerk chicken skewer was, there was, like, almost no chicken. It was ridiculous, and you could understand why they charge less than $6 for it, because yeah. I've had significantly better skewers for, like, a buck fifty. Yeah. Um, I should point out when we're at the X, because there's probably not going to be another time to mention it, I actually did get to try their version of the Ninja Warrior course. And yeah. I gotta tell you, I was unpleasantly surprised by how far apart those steps were. <laughs> yeah, the, the steps in the first uh, first challenge. For anybody who knows American Ninja Warrior, they're basically, or for anybody who doesn't, I should say, they're basically just like angled like slats that are like across Platform. Yeah. from like, there's like a body of water underneath, like a really, or not a body of water, but like a little sort of pool thing underneath. Yes. And yeah, they're just angle slots and you're supposed to sort of like bounce from one to the other with each leg. Yeah. As and you run across it. And apparently it's much more challenging than it looks. It's you know what? I think I mean the upper body stuff I have no problems with. It. I guess you people who've watched your videos know that because I've done the salmon ladder before. Yeah. But that that thing totally got me and not only was I unpleasantly surprised by how far apart they were, I was unpleasantly surprised by how gross the water was. <laughs> and I went in twice. So um, anyways, enough said about that. Yeah, so thanks for bringing that up, Crimson Penny, giving us the chance to talk about it. But also, thank you for your questions. So the first one, uh, how to get high battle, you know. So I think the answer is actually tied into the second one. The information that we need to answer this, uh, the actual, the correct answer. So they, they mentioned, Crimson mentions that they've got a ton of random gold characters from packs and a bunch from previous challenges. The implication is that there's not a lot that are fully promoted. Yeah. And the key is making the most of your multiplayer time. We did a recent video on why this Flashpoint team that we're showcasing here is one of the best for speed. Mm -hmm. um, but the the key point that might we might have glossed over too quickly is that part of it will be maximizing the number of points that you get per battle and then doing the battles as fast as you can because 
Um, there's a good chance that Crimson is not getting maximum battle points, which is 5,000 per fight. Yeah, so the problem is, if you don't have a team with good synergy, if you got random golds, your fights probably take longer. And if you don't have them maxed out as high, you're probably getting battle points at, like, you know, maybe half rate per yeah. battle. Yeah. So you're spending longer on battles and you're getting way less, uh, then unfortunately competing with other people uh, is going to be a lot more challenging because people are in a more advantageous position. So you're going to want to... You can pull down how long your battles take by uh, getting good gear, right? And you can bring up the number of battle points you get by getting better uh, characters, getting higher elite level, or not better characters, but just getting higher stats on your characters. But that's actually tied into the other part of the question too, where what to do. And the the only good thing is out of all the different choices you have of playing, at least one thing is sort of outside your reach, which is breakthrough. When you've got so many characters that aren't maxed out yeah. at elite seven. You're not going to be spending time playing Breakthrough to get there, um, to unlock them past 50 and Elite ten, 7. Yeah, so, uh, you know, doing Survivor, right? Doing your Survivor, getting your yeah. augments is good. So Survivor is good because not only do you get the augmentations, but you also get some of those legendary gears, mm -hmm. which are handy, especially the rarest of each set, which is uh, the League of Assassin's Knives, uh, the Mace, and the Lexcore. I can't remember which one it is. It might be the Gauntlets. And yeah. You can see two of them are, are some of our most important ones where you do our... I thought it was the chestplate, I'm not sure. Yeah, Luxcore, I'm not sure either. I, the only one I really worried about, the one I really wanted when they first released them and announced them, was League of Assassin's Knives, yeah. because of the splash damage on Special 1. Yeah, but either way, um, ba basically, the problem is you need to grind a little bit of everything. Um, right. Gear gear is going to be, I think, the most sort of... the, the safest bet, always, yeah. because gear, when you get any duplicate gear... It is valuable in upgrading any of your other gear. Gear is always going to be useful no matter how late in the game you are. Yeah. Uh, and gear is useful if your guys are low stat to be easily better than the opponents, but necessary if you're high stat to be able to match the gear that your opponents have right. in online multiplayer. Right. So gear is, for me, probably uh, the, the, the safest bet no matter what point of the game you're at unless you've got your gear maxed right. out. So let's take a step back then in terms of when you've got a certain amount of time to play... All right, so we can sort of leave off Breakthrough for now because that's sort of a late stage kind of thing. Yeah. Definitely, definitely, you want to unlock the challenge characters. One, because unlocking them is really good for the future when you want them, and if you didn't finish the challenge, you yeah. won't get them. Unfortunately, the inability to reset on iOS makes it harder to... Because the real recommendation on Android would be to grind for challenge characters, really. Right. Um, but once you've done that... In, oh, and the other thing is the amount of credits you get for the time that you spend fighting yeah. is probably the most efficient. Um, the next part then would be really... It's I think it's still... Um, once you've done your few runs in Survivor, mm -hmm. it's still grinding for credits, getting as high as you can. Bonus Battle 6 is still the best if you can't reach it. Typically, the bonus battles in each of the previous stages are um, high payout. Yeah. And so you want your power credits, like you said, get gear because you, what you don't want to do is get your guys so highly promoted that multiplayer becomes difficult because you don't have the gear. So the ones that you want to promote the highest, I think, mm -hmm. are the ones that you maybe don't care about playing in multiplayer later, but you need them to get to bonus battle six and get through them and grind it. Yeah, and the problem is while all this is going on, you've got sort of the enticing pull of multiplayer, right? Right. Especially yeah. when there's a good reward. But if you're having uh, trouble getting into the top 5% right now, even if you play for hours each day, then you probably need to uh, take a step back from multiplayer, especially if it's not a reward that you know, no, no, you want. So I think part of that is doing your due diligence and looking each week in the multiplayer. And like, if you don't know what it is, Googling what the reward is and all its stats and being able to make that choice uh, to maybe skip a week and not even bother getting anywhere other than maybe really low in multiplayer, just that couple battles right. for the easy rewards, right? Right. At the end of the se session I, and I, then going straight for... Uh, more grinding. Yeah, you, you make a really good point though too, right? That it feels like you want to keep on playing as hard as you can multiplayer to get as high as you can. Yeah, because but the payoff you know, is not enough. The the weeks every week is like a a thing, and you want to be able to get your you know yeah what, that exclusive character to like elite seven as soon as possible, right? right? So it's enticing yeah. to play right away every but time. But unless you can get to five top five percent easily. I think it's not worth the payoff in terms of your time because your time could be better spent. You spend one week out of multiplayer, spend those hours improving your roster, improving your gear, and I think the next time you go back to multiplayer, it'll actually be easier. It's a better investment of your time only because yeah. you're taking a few steps ahead just a little bit faster. 
Yeah. So there we go. And that's the answer to both questions. Yep. Awesome. Okay, our next question comes from Bruce Laredo, and they say, as a reply to your call to action, and I know you have a whole playlist dedicated to this already, but I like hearing you guys discuss books and so forth. I'm trying to get back into reading. Four years of high school and two of college have kind of quelled the fire for reading I used to have. Uh, relatable. Uh, so book recommendations and discussions would capture my interest for sure. As always, great video. And uh, Bruce, I have to tell you, uh, I am in a very similar position <laughs> as you are. Uh, one year less of university under the belt, but uh, similarly, because I was thinking about this just before the video, and I was like, oh man, I can't recommend a lot of uh, books right now. I think the sort of uh, closest equivalent to sort of like books as media, uh, I, I think podcasts have largely sort of usurped books for that sort of... Oh, right, because it's just more, so easy to consume. Yeah, for... for uh, and it's not even really equivalent content, but so you have some book recommendations. I do, but I first want to talk a little bit about the idea of recommending books because I think more so than any other media, just because books reach such a small audience and often they target such a smaller audience that the book that would be valuable to recommend or that would be a good recommendation depends a lot on your personal taste. Mm -hmm. There's certain things I think when you've read enough, you recognize these are the kind of things I like. And, ooh, I have a jumping off point from that that's totally unrelated. Okay, go ahead. Right before you get into books. Uh, this is just something interesting I learned about how the Spotify algorithm works. Okay. Because the Spotify algorithm is really, really good at recommending uh, good new music for you. Like your Discover Weekly playlist. Right. Um, but it doesn't do the thing where you just get music that sounds like the music that you already listen to. You can, but you also get recommendations that are weird and eclectic and based off of, like all your music holistically and it's not just like oh you oh. like this one country song here you like this other song okay do you have any guesses how they do that um i would guess that they in some ways solicit or take a look at people's favorites or their playlists and see people who have things on their playlist and the higher correlation between their playlist and yours the differences they're able to say hey there's a good chance you'll like this one too yeah yeah they they basically use other people's data and they, they recommend you stuff where if you have, like, okay. if they notice that, you know, two songs that show that you like show up on a lot of people's playlists and a third song also shows up on that playlist, they'll recommend it to you. Right. So it's basically the equivalent of, it's the perfect mix of an algorithm and somebody else who listens to the same music right. as you personally recommending you, like, a third song. Right. Which is, okay. I think, really That's interesting. Cool. So there, but you also guessed it and won. You got it and won. Yeah, well... So you'd be good at... Spotify algorithms <laughs> are creating them. No, because it, it's it's that kind of thing, right? I think there's the joy of books sometimes where it's something that you didn't expect or any kind of media where it's something yeah. you didn't expect, but it's got to have at least enough of a tie into some of the things you, or just very rarely do you like something that's completely out of the blue that has no resemblance to anything you've ever liked before, where you don't understand why you liked it. Yeah, it doesn't happen that often, but what does happen often is that people can recommend books to you that have sort of a similar like a related kind of DNA mm -hmm. where people liked one thing and they recognized the similarities between one thing and another they liked and be able to find or recommend something that has a good chance of appealing or scratching that same itch mm -hmm. that, um, that it satisfied when you read the other book that you liked. Yeah. So I want to start by saying, so there's some classics, I mean, and when I say classic, I'm going to talk about science fiction and fantasy mainly because that's the genre I like reading the most because I think literary is... I haven't had great experience with just straight up literature, you know, literary, whatever, because it's just so yeah. variable mm -hmm. in terms of, I don't want to say quality because I don't know that I'm the final arbiter of quality or that I can judge it properly, but I don't get the same kind of joy as I do consistently. Um, and so the ones that have the broadest appeal in the genre of science fiction, fantasy, or just speculative fiction, mm -hmm. it's typically pretty well represented by the major award winners. So yeah. if you do nothing else, I mean, we can we should probably talk about this because the Hugo Awards were just announced. This year's Hugo Awards were just announced like a couple days ago, two days ago. Yeah. And they announced the winners and big congratulations to Mary Robinette Kowal, who won for Calculating Stars, which also won the Nebula uh, for Best Novel and also mm. the Locus Award for Best Novel. Wow. Um, and that's voted on by the Worldcon membership. And it's interesting because even though it's it, it seems like it's probably had the longest history and the the sort of most important cachet. Yeah. It really is 
a very small group of people who are voting on that because it's the membership for one specific convention. Mm -hmm. And over time, it's held up really well. Um, then you've got the Nebulas, which is voted on by Science Fiction Writers Association of... Um, it used to be of America. Yeah. But I think now they, they... I mean, it's got the right initial SFWA to let you be um, more creative with it. You could call it the Speculative Fiction uh, Writers Association. Mm. Um, and maybe that actually is the name. I don't know. You could. But, I'm not sure. Yeah, but... It, and it, it, it they don't... You'd think there'd be maybe a lot more overlap... But it, it's a big deal when something wins both a Hugo Nebula, but a, a book that won just the Nebula that you've read, yeah. Flowers for Algernon. Yeah, and I, I've actually had conversations since recommending it last time, which is interesting. Um, and I, I'm going to spoil Flowers for Algernon maybe in the next two minutes or so a little bit. Uh, but the, the way when you actually take a step back and look at how they handle uh, disability uh, and, you know, the specific uh, condition that the uh, main character Charlie has uh, I don't know if they actually name it specifically I'm sure they do but it's been a while um, where they they sort of make the main emotional crux of it um, sort of the like quote-unquote curing yes and then uh, reversion the of failure it. of the cure and so the the in sort of the current landscape and the way that we talk about neurodiversity and sort of contemporary perceptions of it like um, really you shouldn't be sad, right? The the idea of being sad about it, uh, like the the if it, if it's sad for the specific you know circumstances of the character, if it was like a real character, it would be a different situation, right? If it was right. A, the actual kind of real person, right. but the fact that it's an imagined account of a fake person uh, that has right. been constructed, where the main emotional crux of it is going back to this position, it plays into our sort of understanding of uh developmental disabilities as like oh poor thing right right and it's sort of like a not great uh portrayal so, of so let me i mean it's been even longer since i've read it but listen to it because i was part of that conversation right yeah where we're talking about the how maybe it hasn't aged as well i guess the first thing is the context this is a book written in the 60s yeah and given this was 50 year old book mm -hmm. i think it's actually aged decently given that it was of its time. Oh, it's aged better than a ton of media because it was right. genuinely meant to be right. kind. It was not meant to be a sort of uh, salacious book. It was not not meant right. to be like, oh, look at this person, poor them, but, the same way. See, but it still fell into a lot of like unintentional sort of right. but issues. I, I think also that the reason why, that, why this um, ages even better, and I think it's maybe a little bit more resistant to the kind of criticisms that you're talking about yeah. is because it's written as a first person, which is not typical for these kind of books, right? Like, well, in general, very very few books are written in first person. I think the problem is because it's first person, uh, it's providing a very sort of visceral description, and I can't speak to its accuracy, and I'm pretty sure the writer also can't speak to its accuracy. Sure, yeah. So the problem is it might feel right to me, but I have no... And, you know, I think in some places, if I reread it, I, I, I say it might feel right to me, not saying that it di it does feel right to me, just saying that, you know, it's possible that it yeah. would if I read it, but I would have no way of knowing, uh, you know, actually without, you know, talking to uh, a neurodivergent right. individual. So, I don't know yeah, but what I, condition they... I don't think they ever say, the but what, else, what I do want to point out, though, is that because it's written from the first person, and the key, whatever you call the diagnosis is, is sort of... Uh, a loss of higher capacity reasoning, a loss of a certain kind of awareness that it's very similar to what I see in people who are getting older, who become demented and they can still, well, they do seem to feel really sad about what they've lost without necessarily um, understanding what's going on. Yeah. And the, the, why that works so much better as a, a first person uh, description is because a lot of that um, sadness and regret is what you see in the people around them. Yeah, that that's actually an interesting... At that point, we're talking about philosophy, right? I mean, for the limited amount that I know about philosophy, I took a one-semester uh, uh, ethics class. I only took logic, so you're ahead of me. And uh, I forget who it was who suggested the uh, idea, but basically... Um, 
there's it it was specifically as I learned it framed around the idea of death. Right. Um whereas like whether or not you can construe death as a loss because there's no sort of noticeable loss on the person who's experiencing it. Oh, Keanu Reeves. Shout out to Keanu Reeves. Oh yeah, and his uh talk show with uh, video. Stephen Colbert Colbert. Yeah, that interview. one was really interesting. But you you talk about a similar thing where um what you're saying here is that it is that higher order reasoning in you are construing it as a fundamental good something that is inherently good and uh worthwhile in and of itself which i think for at least me personally that's not controversial i totally agree with that right right and what's important is even if there's no perception of the loss uh the idea that it is a deprivation of a fundamental good means that it is a negative thing inherently right, right. whether or not the person experiencing it uh cares right so in the yep. example of death it's not uh it's that lo- living is a fundamental good and being deprived of living uh is is bad right, right? even right. if there's no moment in time where the person is actually experiencing the the badness right, right, right because right. you're either alive in which case you're not experiencing badness or you are gone and there is no person to experience it right there's right. no <laughs> <laughs> wow we've gone kind of into the weeds because this was supposed to be a talk about the award winners and stuff but so yeah that um, was that was our discussion about flowers for algernon okay um what i would like actually <laughs> is if uh anybody else has read it if they want to weigh in in the comments uh especially if they've read it recently and you know even potentially if somebody hears this and is interested in reading it to read it and get back to us keeping what we've said in mind Right. That would be cool. I'm not sure if anybody is willing to put that work into it, but, you know, that's a call to action to Bruce Laredo. You you posted the comment. Uh, If you're you're at all interested in it, we would love to hear some people's thoughts about Flowers for Algernon. Um, So getting back to the the point I think I was starting to make or trying to make is that despite the Hugos being from a much more narrow kind of perspective, it's really sort of a popularity contest from among the membership of a specific one specific yearly convention yeah um when books win the hugo or the nebula but not both that the hugo best novel has i don't know i want to say held up but it's maintained its relevance they they maintain the relevance longer so there's a lot of best uh novel nebulas that i think have fallen by the wayside that have gone out of print that aren't discussed nearly as much as the uh hugo awards Mm -hmm. which is interesting to me then you've got the World Fantasy Award, which is a juried award. So I can't remember how they pick the jury members, but there's a group of people who all read a bunch of books, and then they decide who they're going to vote on. I think the World Fantasy Convention membership can suggest a few to add to their um, shortlist to consider. But um, they've actually come up with a pretty diverse and not a huge amount of overlap with the Hugo or Nebula Awards. Yeah. Um, so examples of the, these books that you've read mm-hmm. are Last Call by Tim Powers. So good. Yeah. Um, Bridge of Birds. Oh, Barry Huart died just a couple of weeks ago. Hmm. So Bridge of Birds was originally meant to be a whole series about uh, uh, Number 10 Ox. And, uh, oh, there was such a good quote when he introduces himself, and I can't remember it right now off the top of my head because it's so long since I read it. So long since I've read it too. Bridge of Birds, the name didn't even sound familiar, but when you said number 10 ox, it sparked something. I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> well, what's funny is I think when you were young, and I think probably before you were, were you able to read when I read that to you? I don't know. It was, you know, like it was a bedtime story. And as I was reading it, I realized that it was getting, there's certain parts that were really inappropriate. And I hadn't remembered that because it was just such a funny book. Oh, I forget what it was recently, but there's a piece of media um, that was that made reference to the wizard of earth sea i forget what it was oh that's um, cool but somebody was um it was in like a show and i think somebody oh oh i think it was stranger things maybe i think it was stranger things season three um where somebody uh called uh yeah no i'm pretty sure it was stranger things season three and um somebody was like asking somebody else to do something they're like oh i'm sorry but ged's about to save earth sea um oh and i was like oh my god yeah oh you know what too i saw the cover i think i remember that i saw the cover for it and it i don't know if it was the right cover for the time because i remember when i was growing up around that same age i'm actually of the age of stranger things Mm. and the cover that was my favorite was the yvonne gilbert covers 
that had she has that she's done um a george R. R. martin book and i can't remember which one it's called but she does a lot of the fancy novels she does i think it's a uh, pencil crayon stuff and it's that really realistic and it's got a sort of uh like a like an ethereal sort of delicate quality to it yeah but they were my favorite covers to the whole trilogy at the time it was still a trilogy before mm-hmm. um tehanu came out which was much later yeah. Um, but anyway, sorry. Yeah, it's cute. Cool. But I remember, I think somebody mentioned Bridge of Birds was mentioned in a book or, or sorry, mentioned in some media. And I, I wish I, I, if you heard the, uh, clicking clacking of the keys, that was me keyboard. trying to, yeah, that was me trying to figure out if I could Google it really fast and I couldn't. Um, yeah. So, uh, these are a bunch of older books, uh, that we've recommended. I want to recommend, I think I've mentioned probably both of them before, but I want to talk a little bit more having had more time to ruminate on them. Yeah. Uh, the two most recent books that I have read, which okay. both were at the end of the school year, I have not read any books this summer other than the new uh, Adventure Zone graphic novel, right? Uh, Murder on the Rockport Limited, which was good, uh, but it's sort of a podcast adjacent recommendation, so I feel weird <laughs> um, recommending right. it as a book, which was Song of Achilles and an absolutely okay. remarkable thing. Oh, uh, Hank Green. Yeah. I it, haven't read that. I've been meaning to. I think an absolutely remarkable thing is really, really interesting. It is definitely has like a sort of YA feel and I think it's super interesting in the way that it deals with like internet fame Mm -hmm. and it is it feels super super modern and it has a style which I don't know if I just haven't read enough books of its ilk to know but that was really new and sort of refreshing interesting in a way that was hard to put my finger on yeah just the the sort of out of the YA books that I've read, uh, it felt, the dialogue felt interestingly grounded. Uh, I think I think Hank Green is just, like, an interesting person mm-hmm. uh, and has a very specific, like, internet-savvy way of talking. And I think a lot of what I like about Hank Green in sort of his, like, banter came across in the book. So I found it an enjoyable read. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't spent enough time thinking about it directly to know if uh, I would consider it, like... I can't give it, like, the sort of, like, the hard, like, literature critique. Right. Not that I necessarily have the vocabulary or understanding to do that anyways. Right. Um, but I just know that I, I found it enjoyable and interesting and weird, but, um, you know, pretty, pretty, like, accessible. Right. And YA, but not, like, sort of babying. Right. Right? Not, not like, not like oh, YA that's only for young adults. Yeah, not patronizing. Yeah, because I feel like there's some YA, which is YA that you have to read when you are a YA, and if you're not, it's not enjoyable. Like, you know what I mean? I I think there's some content which is good for, like, if you are young and you want to feel like you're reading a more mature book, or if you are right in the age that they're marketing to, and then once you're out of that, you're sort of out of it. Well, there's a series of awards. I think, is it the Alex Awards? There's the the American Library Association does awards for books that are meant for... I think an older audience that mm-hmm. has appealed to a YA audience. I think Ready Player One was an example of that. I think, I mean, I might be remembering it wrong, but I remember it won some sort of award like that. Where yeah. or it was a finalist for an award where it was something that was not geared toward young adults, but definitely had some young adult appeal. Yeah, and uh, Song of Achilles, uh, which mm-hmm. is the other book I mentioned, which was really, like, enjoyable, and I can say that I think, like, really, really good. It is... If you view it cynically, it's basically like Iliad fan fiction. Right. Um, but if you view it the way that I view it, uh, which is like, it's part of a really sort of um, storied tradition in like uh, European literature, uh, where people would like their early works would be like rewritings or retellings of classic stories, um, and I learned that. Uh, and I think the foreword to uh, the Selected Canterbury Tales, yeah, which is a Chaucer, and some of the stories in that are just straight up, you know, other stories. And um, you know, it's it's a really Song of Achilles is a really like sharp, fresh uh, telling right. of the the Iliad. Uh, it's got you know, I, I I don't actually know the original story, so I can't tell you how it stays and deviates from it, but it does a really good job of having a grounded, like, fantastical sort of tale, right? Because obviously it's, you know, about Achilles, the person who was 
invincible everywhere but the heel and there's like demigods in it and right. it's all that but for all of that it's a really sort of grounded emotional story and uh it's it was quite enjoyable and i i you know come away having you know ruminated on it i've lost some of the details now of it right. but you can but remember how it makes you feel i can remember that i found it really really compelling right um and the the romance uh it, i don't know if this is spoiler because it's like history but uh, history and myth right right but um the the romance in it was like the descriptions were were really sort of compelling I found like the the way um, that that like just the prose was really sort of right uh, impactful. Okay. So yeah, that, this that's is, a that's a good this, recommend for the most recent thing I've read that I'm pretty sure I've already talked about. This is what I've said before too that I don't always remember the details of a book. I'm not great at that. I'm not a great critical reader, but I definitely remember how something makes me feel. Yeah. And that stays with me a long time and if I'm going to recommend something, definitely it's got to be something that I can feel. And it's funny that you mentioned that about myth and stuff. Cause one of the books that I've been reading lately, I guess the last, I should probably mention, um, because I have it sort of in a point form note, the other major award, I guess, is the locus awards, which is voted on by, uh, the entire readership of the magazine, which is probably the biggest, uh, number of votes possible. And I'm surprised. I mean, it's definitely got some cachet, but it's not nearly as big as say the Hugo nebulas or the world fantasy Award. Yeah. Considering how much, many more people contribute to uh, voting for Locus Awards. Mm. All right, so I've just been reading, or I just finished reading Lent by Joe Walton. So that's her most recent book. And I feel like I'm missing a bunch of stuff because I I, I lack a classic education. Mm -hmm. And so I, I don't know a lot of the things that I, sh I think maybe could or should be noticing because it's based on real characters and real events mm, um, okay so sort of like Anno Dracula yes um, and it plays with the idea of reliving parts of your, part of your life with the chance to change things you know like recently we've had Russian Doll Russian Doll is quite enjoyable um, replay by Ken Grimwood yeah um, Groundhog Day mm -hmm. so the idea of um Going back, trying to change stuff, whether it's change stuff so that you become a better person, yeah. or whether you try to make the world better. Did we talk about Russian Doll on the podcast? I feel like I've mentioned it. I've yeah, mentioned it. It was it was quite good. And yeah, so it is a lot of fun, and it. I don't know if I'm just misreading it, but it has this a wickedly funny twist surprise ending. I mean, besides the, tw I mean, I, I don't really want to spoil stuff because it's a relatively new book, so probably not as many people have read this but there's a twist early on in the book yeah and you can't really discuss the book without spoiling that twist. So then maybe just leave it fresh but I, I after i finished the book i mean what i should have been doing was googling the characters that were there yeah and what i did instead was try and google to see if i could find a place where people were discussing the ending if to figure out maybe i didn't understand what's happening and i can't find that and part of me thinks, well, even if I'm wrong, it's still a valid interpretation. Just because I'm wrong doesn't mean it's not true. If, if you're wrong, but it's funny and cool, yeah, then it, it, is. it almost is better for you to be wrong than it to be less interesting than you think it is. Yeah, exactly. So what I'm hoping is that somebody's read Lent by Joe Walton. It, it's not the kind of book I can necessarily recommend to a broad audience, but it, for the right person reading it who's interested in the idea of how... Um, like in replay where people can have an individual can have an impact on events yeah how events can change even when it's not centered around you right you think somehow yeah. that the little things that this one person does is gonna make a difference when it's just as easily could be somebody else doing stuff mm -hmm. and i don't know if i'm explaining myself properly but just that the the whole idea i mean she she did she touched on this in my real it's children like what too. is affected by you and what is not at all affected by you it's sort of when people explore in history and they say, oh, well, this was inevitable, right? Right. And that, like, sort of interpretation that if it wasn't you, it would be somebody else. And if it wasn't this, it would be something similar, right? Yes, yes. And, you know, the idea, because we can never really know, right? I think, um, I forget who I was talking to, but I, I was talking to somebody uh, 
not too long ago, and they said people say that, but people also like said that like the end of the Cold War would like inevitably spark like nuclear war, and it almost did a bunch of times. Right. Right. Um, you know, so you, you, you never know if something is inevitable until you are in the circumstance in which it doesn't happen, right? Right. And things can seem inevitable, but, you know, in hindsight, a lot of stuff that maybe seemed inevitable totally was not. Right. And along that, like, something sort of adjacent to that, but not exactly, is that what it comes back to every time in one of these sort of alternate history kind of books that hits me the hardest... Yeah. ...is where... I, you, I really get a feeling that our connection to the past and what's happened is just so tenuous mm. because, and it's it's expressed really well here where the characters try and change things, but also in um, My Real Children where a lot of her memories are overlapping and she's not really sure what's, what's real and what's not because the details sometimes overlap and then... Um, Diverge, yeah, and diverge, um, and it. See, and I, I don't know because I'm not, the, I don't have dementia, but it gives that same. It feels, it has an emotional, um, resonance. Yeah, that feels real and feels honest, and yeah. it feels like I would feel if I was having trouble remembering what was real and what was not, and what, whether my memories were playing tricks on me, and whether what was yeah. happening around me was there's, actually part of... There's an emotional truth in the same way that, like, acting performances can feel, like, good because they feel emotionally true. Where right. whether or not they're accurate, it puts you in a place of sort of empathy and understanding for the situation, which means right. that it, it feels right. Right. Yeah. So... Yeah, for the right person, definitely would recommend it. I don't know that I'd recommend this as a starting point. I think My Real Children or Among Others by Joe Walton is really good. But if you liked either one of those, I think you'll really like Lent. Joe Walton is just so smart in so many different ways. Mm -hmm. And normally if I'm reading something that's like that, I feel really dumb. But I don't because it works really well as just a story. And now I'm more interested in some of the things that I've touched on. And I want to actually find out more about it. It's like adult Percy Jackson for like Oh, mythology. yes, yes. And it's funny too, because you mentioned mythology, right? But what it does is it takes some of those, the tradition of uh, Christian, um, I don't know, beliefs, like a de demons and exorcism. Yeah. And it treats it like the way novels usually deal with other religions. Um, well, we call it mythology, right? Like, yeah. you know, with the Romans and Greeks, this is what they yeah. believed. But you don't see that happen very often with Christian stuff, which is kind of cool. Too. Yeah, because people, it, it's interesting. Yeah, I think <laughs> in general, people are much more willing to treat other religions like uh, Fodder. fun set dressing. Yes. Right? And because people, like, you know, a lot of people still believe in Christianity, even when you're talking about some of the uh, understandings that were, are a little more archaic, right? Like, her current understanding of angels yeah. uh, is not sort of the, uh, like, original sort of depiction of angels, right? Right. Like, as people with wings. Right. Right, where angels used to be sort of just, like, um, awesome in the... Awesome used as a synonym for awful. Like, oh, as okay. A, as an inspiring awe, but just, like, weird. Like, there was an angel that was just, like, I think, like, a big set of eyeballs, Right. Oh, that's funny. And like, there's there, a, there's a demon in here with just a big head and uh, uh, attached to two hands. Yeah, but like it, it, the actual like biblical description of angels, it makes a lot more sense why if they showed up in like a narrative, somebody would be like, "Oh my god!" And you, they would have to be like, "No, no, 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 no! I'm a messenger from God." Otherwise, you would be like, "Right?" They, like, <laughs> You'd be they're, freaking out. They're just like they're they're not understandable. Like right. they're 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 hard to, they're hard to wrap your head around in a lot of ways. They they have as much in common with like weird eldritch horrors as um they have much more in common with eldritch horrors than they do with like our current perception of angels, oh. which are basically just like chill like folks with so wings. And so this reminds me of Swiftly Tilting Planet by Madeline Langle, which was yeah. a sequel to Wrinkle in Time. I think and maybe I'm remembering it wrong, but that they were angels, but they weren't the way we expected angels. They were just like weird. Yeah. Um. All right, so maybe we're running out of time. There's like one really good question that we need to get to, so maybe I should finish the recommendation. So right now what I'm in the middle of reading is Jade War, which is a sequel to Jade City by Fonda Lee. And, you know, Jade City won the World Fantasy Award, so it's not like it would have been too hard to figure out. 
um, or defined as a recommendation. But I wanted to point it out because I'm also watching uh, the Wu Assassin on Netflix. And if you're watching Wu Assassin, what Jade War is like is it's almost like what Wu Assassin is aiming for and trying to be, but it doesn't quite get there. Yeah. And Jade War hits it. It's like um, fantasy, but about it's it's a basically like a crime family or not yeah. necessarily. I mean, I I don't want to spoil it like that because it's got um, it, it's a lot about family and mm-hmm. tradition and um, right and wrong and uh, you know what I, I'm probably too close to it right now because I'm in the middle of reading it to yeah. really I haven't had a chance to sort of digest it and give it a but lot of but it's really good and you recommend it it is really really good okay uh, and I've recommended Jade City yeah. I'm already pushing it to you I've got you the have book been. and yeah. I, I, I'm, I can't wait for you to finish reading it so we can actually talk about okay. it okay and then you, you get to look forward to Jade War which I'm in the middle of and it's it's spectacular I have a quick description from whyangels.com of what different angels look like. Okay. And so I wasn't entirely wrong. Um, there are some that look like people, but all of the ones that look like people are handsome young men, no wings. Yeah. Um, and I like here in the number for Archangel slash Michael, their, their numbers is po- probably one or possibly seven for how many Archangels slash Michael <laughs> there are. So we've got Ordinary Angels, um, Archangels, and Gabriel, which are all handsome young men. And then Seraphim has six wings, two covering the face, two covering feet, and two for flying. So they sort of the the winged uh. angels are like really winged. Cherubims have four wings covered with eyes all around, and the four living creatures all have six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Huh. And then Lucifer and fallen angels are unknown looks. Right. Right. So right. the or- original angels don't look like really any of what we consider angels to look like. Right. They're they're sort of okay. very like again they're they're like creatures right right more than specifically like um actual angels if you look up uh like i'm looking up original description of angels and the pictures are (laughs) varying degrees of just weird and sort of unsettling okay um i think we've answered that question i think we've answered that question we've gone on a lot of tangents too so there we go. Thanks for the thanks for the question. Hopefully there's a book recommendation somewhere and there were an interesting thread worth following. Uh, I think maybe next up we'll talk about this uh, Reddit thread. Oh, then actually... let me do this one really quick. Oh, okay, sorry. Uh, this next question comes from Dill Pickle Dude eighty before the Reddit thread. Hey guys, I was wondering what could be a really good defensive team to leave out in multiplayer. Any ideas would be greatly appreciated. Keep up the good work. All right, so. We don't care enough about defensive points to make videos about it, but we understand the idea of why defensive wins are so important because they're worth double the battle points of offensive wins. Yeah. Um, the issue I've always had with defensive wins is it's rewarding you for not playing compared to playing because if your defensive, a better defensive team is not what you play with, mm-hmm. then the more you play, the less you're going to get of defensive points. And that being said, I mean, the general principle of you want a good defensive team to, to take advantage of those points is figuring out what you have trouble when you fight and lean into that. Mm-hmm. So you want to make a team that takes advantage of the exact same problems that you have when you're fighting them. It used to be that you could increase the number of defensive fights that you would get, whether you'd win them or lose them, by picking certain characters that had the maxed out stats or, I think, the equivalent of the threat level, except it was hidden in uh, Injustice. It was never overt like it was in Injustice 2, yeah. the mobile game. So you can't do that the same way anymore. So it's really just a matter of that if teams are going to be fighting against you, you want to make it as hard as possible for them to... Or you make it as difficult. All the things that you hate about facing the teams, you face it, but not make it so difficult that people rage quit before you get the points when they lose. Yeah, so basically just the teams that you don't like fighting. Yes. That's, that's the best teams. Yes. The teams that you don't like fighting that you have the characters for. Just co- copy copy the people who you go into a fight with and you're like, oh, that sucks. Yes, and not just the sucks that it takes a long time to win, but sucks because you are... You're going to lose if you're not careful. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Because there's so many different teams. I think this Flashpoint team is a good example of that, where it's not only a great offensive team, mm-hmm. but it's ridiculously difficult to face them because the techniques that I'm using, basically tagging and Deathstroke, the only difference with an AI is that it's going to happen a little bit later. It's going to happen eventually, and then Deathstroke's going to do a whole buttload of damage. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there we go. And our last th- 
thing that we're going to address today, which I'm pretty excited to talk about, actually. <laughs> uh, there was a Reddit thread where somebody said, any good YouTubers for injustice? And there's a comment by uh, SF underscore junkie, and they say, BDC Care Gaming used to be good before they inexplicably morphed into a left-wing talking points podcast. Sad to see. They had good content up until then. I would argue um, about that they had good content up until then, too, maybe. <laughs> I think um, it was worth... Listen, definitely we were less polished. Like, we've the, been... The, I would use the term serviceable, uh, maybe informative. Uh, I think a, I think a sort of across-the-board good... Right, serviceable is very generous. <laughs> okay. Um, I don't think that's particularly generous, but okay. Anyways, we got um, a couple comments in response to that. Um, one comes from Jashisa2016, and they say, Are they left-wing? I never listen to the podcast. I only watch their videos, but personally, I don't care about your political view as long as it's... Um, as long as you're not uh, sorry, as long as you're not adding it to everything. So as long as they leave the political stuff out of injustice, then I don't mind watching them. And then there's another comment from Dark Poolside that says, To argue, injustice itself doesn't have any new content, <laughs> which I think is funny and sad and fair uh and accurate quite accurate <laughs> it's a lot of different things but um what it is not probably is a justification for us uh quote morphing into a left-wing talking points podcast and it's, it's to me it's you the important word there is inexplicably yeah um because we, yeah. we talked about this for like a minute before we started filming and uh the thing that i said was that people have asked us to branch out before and what they've meant is make videos about other video games uh, and our response has always been, but we don't have any th anything good to say about other video games that I think that we would want to watch, so we don't want to make any content for other people. And I think uh, the slow slide into talking about left-wing political stuff when it interests us, uh, although I would argue that a lot, some of the stuff, a decent chunk of the stuff we talk about, I would hope would be sort of mostly nonpartisan, and it's more of like a specific stance on an well, issue than like a platform okay. motivated so I like get, an ideology yeah, motivated yeah, so i'm i'm saying that issue um, yeah it's it's weird to me that some of the stuff about being decent to other people and uh not being uh what's a, a not offensive way of saying not being a dick is somehow partisan and it's <sighs> or and i mean the thing is, some of the stuff that we talk about is definitely partisan in current political discourse, but I think we try it for some stuff, at least for, like, you know, when you talk about the difference between, um, like, single-payer healthcare, right? Yes. Sort of my, my argument for uh, why subsidized healthcare is better is, I would hope, primarily based on the fact that when you look at the numbers and how much different places are spending on healthcare, right. you don't spend more on healthcare when you subsidize healthcare if you're doing a good job versus having right. it yeah. scattered, right. right? And so that's that's not really... I, I, I hope that information isn't partisan. I'm sure that there's some people contesting it. But, right. uh, f you know, everywhere I've seen that has seemed like, you know, a reasonable good source that is providing just pure information and that's not re I, I feel like that separates it from you know partisanship right or it should it should i mean there's certain things i think i mean if you're gonna be not like completely libertarian anarchy and say that every man for himself that if there's any role for government then the role of government should actually be to support common people good yeah it's like to maximize like net positive experience and i think uh, decrease world suck yeah and i mean I, I to be fair we're not actually answering this person's question we are just spewing off well it wasn't new, even or not sorry not it not um a question but we are actually just in fact spewing off new left-wing talking points or well, are, repeating so this, the same this ones is it. it's, which is funny to me because the left-wing right thing wing thing is very much i think a u.s thing that's starting to creep into canada and as Canadians, I think even a conservative Canadian is probably more liberal yeah. than a liberal American, like yeah. as 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 a whole, like on on average. As yeah. the, so it's just it's weird to me that that there's an issue with some of the points that we're making about hey, listen, uh, you know, somebody wants to use have different pronouns go for it mm -hmm. the multiculturalism and diversity is a good thing it's there's value there's inherent benefit to that yeah um that single-payer healthcare is good yeah and I, I think one of the things too is that getting back to 
saying that like people have been asking us to pivot. This is a thing. These are things that we believe and things that we find interesting to talk about. And that is all this is, right? And if and we've sort of tried to format this so that it is as enjoyable for us as possible, right? Right. And that means that sometimes, you know, conversations about politics are going to be the conversations we have because we think those are the most interesting ones to have. And we're glad that people watch it. We're super excited that people like to listen to us talk about books and all that other stuff. Right. But at the end of the day, we would much prefer to talk about what we want and then figure out who wants to listen to us then figure out what the people who listen to us want us to talk about and then do that oh and so all right so we're pretty much out of time but i i do also want to say apologies because there's no, no game playing in the background right now that um people mistake this channel as an attempt to make a gaming channel when really this was an attempt to <laughs> film something that we actually enjoyed. I mean, we started off doing unboxings and recommendations. Yeah. We pivoted it's, to gaming. It's, it's only called VDCKR Gaming because we didn't want the gaming stuff to get in the way of our real content. Which is VDCKR. Which yeah. is, is, you know, just because of the, I guess, the complexities of YouTube and the fact that we had almost no subscribers on the other channel yeah. compared to this. But This it, is just the second channel turned first channel. Yes. So, you know, listen, we enjoy playing Injustice. And that was it. So when we pivot, we're not going to be pivoting to another game. The next thing that we enjoy is probably, that together I mean, yeah. is probably not gaming stuff. And you're exactly right. Where this, it's funny that people are, were asking us to change and that people aren't happy when we do it. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, this is, I think, the favorite, the favorite reason I've ever seen somebody give to stop listening to our channel. Because people will be like, you've gotten boring, or I don't want to listen to, you know, a video as long as it is. And to those points, it's like, I can't tell if I've gotten boring or not, but I'm uh, tempted to believe that person. <laughs> At least, you know, their personal perception of it is that we've gotten less interesting over time. And, you know, I don't think I don't think they can be wrong about that, right? Right, because we're, we're less interesting than yeah, them, for if, sure. Yeah, if we're less interesting than them, then, you know, that's true. Um... And people not wanting to watch a long video where I talk, I find it very easy to believe that people would not want to listen to me talk for this <laughs> long. Uh, so I, I don't find that particularly surprising. But um, for somebody to tell me that they have stopped listening because we are uh, spouting left-wing talking points, I think has probably been the, the most joyous reason for somebody to be like, I don't like you guys anymore because I think you're too left. And it's like, well, you know, if you're watching our other content, I, I don't know, I, I, almost, I almost feel better about <laughs> Having that particular okay. person not want to watch our stuff. I don't know if that's like, maybe that's um, a little divisive and unnecessary, you know, where people say you should find common ground and talk about it. But I think we do make an effort. There was um, uh, Drake Pendergrin, right? Yeah. Pretty consistently disagreed with us, but we had some, I think, uh, yeah. interesting and uh, I, I hope civil discussions. Yes. Right? But when somebody comes in and says, I don't like listening to you because your views on politics are bad, it's like, well, that means I think your views on politics are bad, so this is kind of a mutual parting of ways, I guess. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's a good note to end it on, I think. Yeah. Uh, a big thank you to uh, our patrons who are yeah, supporting us. Yeah, the people who Patreon. feel pretty much as close to the opposite about our content <laughs> as, uh, as <laughs> what was their name? Uh, SF Junkie. SF Junkie. San Francisco or science fiction? Um, well, who knows? Right. Probably science fiction. Right, so, <laughs> that would be even better. San Francisco junkie uh, just has connotations of being somebody who um, is addicted to drugs in San Francisco. Or Chinese food. Um, <laughs> a big thank you to Consul Peasant, who's supporting us at the highest tier last word. John Ariama at the Your Message Here tier. Sean Farrell, Daniel Simonson, Aaron Mall, and Michael DeVries, who support us on the credited level and Eddie G and Chris Wolf at the gratitude level. And to all the rest of you listening for putting up with all of our left-wing talking points. Thanks so much for watching. We'll see you next time. Komoda. Komoda.